There we go. All right. Wow, we're on. Thanks, fellas. You just set it down in front. If it'll reach, you may not even have to unplug it. I don't know. Does it have to be unplugged if you drop it down front? Oh, okay. All right. Well, we're in our great miscalculations and mistakes. And uh, so we're going to go ahead and continue with that series. There we go. Thanks, gentlemen. Appreciate that. I think it'd be a lot easier to move if it had handles, wouldn't it? And again, I wouldn't have the pleasure of watching you drop it from time to time, would I? All right, Israel. We're in Proverbs chapter 23, verse 10, and we're going to be looking at a couple of scriptures here to start with, a number of them actually. We're going to deal today with another issue, and oh, I didn't, you know what, I didn't do that, did I? I always put that little slide there in front, and I forgot to do that this time. But anyway, great miscalculations and mistakes, and again, we certainly know that God give us uh, that what, you know, the what took place with Israel and some of the Old Testament prophets and some of those Old Testament characters as a means by which to learn, to grow, and to, to glean so that we don't have to learn the hard way. Amen? You know, you can learn the hard way or you can learn the easy way. You know, the hard way is doing it yourself. The easy way is learning from others' experiences. 
failures, successes, it doesn't matter. You can learn from others. So anyway, we're going to jump right into things today. And we're going to look at Israel today. And we're going to consider this thought. And we're going to deal with removing the landmarks tonight. And uh, so we're going to take a few moments and read these scriptures. We'll have a word of prayer. And then we'll continue with this particular lesson today. Proverbs 23.10, just because they're right up front here, let me just read them for you. Remove not the old landmarks, the landmark, and enter not into the fields of the fatherless. Deuteronomy 19.14, thou shalt not remove thy neighbor's landmark, which they of old time have set in thine inheritance, which thou shalt inherit in the land that the Lord thy God giveth thee to possess it. Deuteronomy 27.17, cursed is he that removeth his neighbor's landmark. And all the people shall say, Amen. Job 40, uh, 22, excuse me, 24, 2, Some remove the landmarks, they violently take away flocks and feed thereof. Proverbs 22, 28, Remove not the ancient landmark which thy fathers have set. Now again, the whole purpose of this particular study is to try to, again, glean or learn from others' mistakes. One of the things we're going to find out here is that Israel chose to remove some ancient landmarks. As a result of them removing some ancient landmarks, they ran into a number of problems along the way. We're not going to spend too much time on the problems, nor are we going to spend too much time on the results. What we're going to find, however, is that God's wrath was poured out upon them. Ultimately, we find them in a real mess, and um, it's all a result of them removing some ancient landmarks. And so let's take a look at this topic and subject so that we don't fall into the same trap they did, so that we can avoid the pitfalls that they did, that they didn't avoid, I should say. All right, so let's pray. Father, we come to you. Thank you again for just the privilege that we have, Lord, to gather tonight. Lord, in these next few moments, and again, Lord, it's uh, uh, not much time left tonight, but we certainly thank you for the privilege and the time that we do have to glean from your word. Bless us tonight. Encourage us. We desperately need you. Well, thank you, Father, for what you'll accomplish in our hearts and lives. May this not just be an exercise in rote or just mundane duty. May we, Father, truly open our hearts and allow you to speak to us tonight. Let's not waste our time tonight, Lord. If you don't show up, we'll have done that. So, Lord, I'm asking you to show up. I'm asking you, Father, to do uh, what only you can. Well, thank you. In Christ's name, amen. All right, so anyway, we see some very, very specific verses about the landmarks. And the scriptures here address the original landmarks that were instituted early on in the history of Israel. Remember when they went on into the promised land? The fact was is that the land was divided amongst the people, amongst the tribes. There were landmarks that were put in place. These landmarks marked the division of the land. They ensured proper identification of each person's property so that their inheritance, when it was passed down from generation to generation, would never be lost. And, and that's... that's you know, something that was so important is that the um, landmarks would be in place, that everyone would know without a doubt what property was whose, and there would be no misunderstanding where you belonged, where you fit, where you, where you were supposed to reside. So thou shalt not remove thy neighbor's landmark. And that was something that was emphasized and taught early on in this process. You don't mess with those landmarks. You do not move those landmarks. The ancient landmarks, which had been set up by their fathers, were not to be removed under any circumstance. We've already read the verse, but it says, Remove not the ancient landmark which thy fathers have set. Don't move it. Don't remove it. Don't move it. Don't allow it to be in any way manipulated at all. 
Matter of fact, a curse was pronounced upon anyone who tampered with any of the, the original landmarks. Cursed be he that removeth his neighbor's landmark. Cursed. Cursed be he that removeth his neighbor's landmark. You're living next to somebody and you've got their landmark sitting there on a particular piece of property and you go ahead and move it over about five feet. Uh-uh, that's bad news. You don't do that. You'll be cursed. Don't do that. The rightful inheritance of each one of the children of Israel could only be identified by reference to those ancient landmarks. So as those ancient landmarks were put into place, that, that ensured that the proper division of land was maintained, that every family, every person had what was rightfully theirs. The landmarks referred to in the above text, of course, were very important to the children of Israel in their inheritance, as we said. But also, even as that uh, inheritance was so true there, and, and we see that established with Israel, it's a picture. What took place with those landmarks is a, is a picture of spiritual truths and standards which have been established for the church. There's an application, I guess we could say, for us. So what was physical in the Old Testament comes across and is, can be applied to us spiritually today. And so there are some landmarks, even as there were in those days, there are landmarks in our days today. And we have to keep that in mind. God's very serious about not removing ancient landmarks. Very serious. He wasn't happy when Israel did it. And let me tell you, he's not happy when you and I will do it or do it, do it as well. So we have to be very aware of that. Now, we may recognize or understand a landmark maybe to be like a property stake. You know, in, in our day and age, we don't, you know, pile up a pile of rocks. We don't, you know, build a little building on the corner of our property, so to speak. We just uh, have a stake driven into the ground. And then when it comes time to identify the property lines, somebody goes along with a metal detector or something and tries to find that stake. Unfortunately, sometimes those stakes aren't very easy to find, are they? They either get buried through time or possibly somebody even removes them. When they remove them, there's a real problem, isn't there? And that's why God's so careful to say, don't remove those landmarks. Because there's, some, there's a piece of property that belongs to you. A piece of property belongs to him. And a piece of property belongs to her. And, and that property lines, don't you mess with those property lines. Don't you remove those ancient landmarks. Now, why is God so unhappy when we remove the landmarks? Number one, landmarks provide boundaries. They provide boundaries, as we mentioned already. Listen, I don't know about you, but it's important that I live by boundaries. You know what one of the boundaries that I live by is? That I'll not have a relationship with any other woman but my wife. That's a boundary. That's a boundary. That's a pretty good boundary, isn't it? I don't live 85% of my life being faithful to my wife. I live 100%. I can't move it. I can't, I can't remove it, but I don't even want to move it. It's established. It's there. All right? That's just the way it is. And, and so there are all kinds of boundaries that are set in, in our lives. And, and there are biblical boundaries that God sets. God's very serious about this issue of landmarks. He is very unhappy when they get moved or removed because landmarks provide boundaries. Because ultimately, number two, landmarks keep us in bounds or where we belong. There's a place that God has for you in your life. And these, these landmarks that are established, that are found in this, this book, the Word of God, help to maintain or keep us in bounds. If um, I, was, I had a chance to watch some of the game last night, the Cavaliers game, and on one situation, one of the guys jumped up toward the baseline and he went to get a, a rebound, and when he came down, his foot hit out of bounds and he threw the ball back in, but they, they stopped the play, they turned the ball back over to the enemy, 
Why? Because he had gone out of bounds. You know, it's interesting because his whole foot wasn't even out of bounds. Just his heel touched out of bounds. But it didn't really matter that only his heel touched out of bounds. The fact was, if only just a fraction of his foot, just the meagerest amount of that foot would have touched out of bounds, he was totally out of bounds. You know, we're good about trying to determine and define how far out of bounds we can go without being really all the way out of bounds. You know what I mean? We're good at that. You know, so what we do is we may not remove the landmark. We move the landmark. We kind of move it over just a little bit so that way we can kind of step over here. But see, you got to understand that, that you can go ahead and remove them. or I mean, you can, you can move a landmark if you like. You're welcome to do that. God's not going to, uh, um, you know, necessarily um, kill you. He won't. He may not kill you for it. But it doesn't change the fact that it's already been defined in the Word of God. You can say this is where the new boundary is. But God doesn't have to agree with you in the judgment. And you know what? He doesn't have to agree with me. So you have to be careful because, see, landmarks provide boundaries. So there's the boundary now. I know where, as a believer, how far I can go. I know exactly where I am permitted to go. I know exactly where God wants me to reside. I know how he wants me to function. But when, the moment I step, and, and it, it keeps us in bounds. Why? Because I see the line. I don't want to get out of bounds. I don't want to dis, you know, discourage. I don't want to hurt my Lord. I don't want to offend him. I don't want to uh, break his heart. So I'm going to stay in the line. But all you do, it just that little bit, just that slightest bit, and you're out of bounds completely. Landmarks ensure our safety and success. See, when the cavalier, uh, uh, I don't know if it was a guard or forward or whatever he was, I'm not real good with all that, but what I do know is when he stepped on that line, he had to turn the ball back over to the enemy. Well, you can't score in basketball if you don't have the ball. You've got to have the ball. Success is found by putting the ball in the basket. Football, you have to have the ball to score touchdowns. So you've got to have the ball. Going out of bounds is not going to serve you well if you keep going out of bounds. You've got to stay in bounds. And when you stay in bounds, you have a good chance to, first of all, be safe and successful. And that's the way it is in the Christian life. You know, again, go ahead and push the envelope. Start to consider removing or moving the landmarks. And all you do is jeopardize your safety, and your success. And if you're a dad or you're a mom here today, then you jeopardize the safety and the success of your children. If you're a grandparent, you jeopardize the safety and success of possibly children that are grown that still look to you for some leadership. And then you jeopardize the safety and success of the grandkids. We are never off the hook as believers when it comes to landmarks. We always have to function and operate within God-given inheritance. When we remove the ancient landmarks, we are fully prepared to do something. When we remove a landmark, we are prepared to occupy someone else's rightful place or something else's rightful place. In this case, it's not our land. It's not ours. We're going to remove the landmark. Why? Because we want to be able to step on over into that um, unauthorized area. 
That's why we move landmarks. That's why we remove them. Because we want to occupy some place or position that is not ours to occupy. You've got to be careful with that. So here it is. When we remove any of the landmarks that God and His Word established, we are really saying, here's what we're saying, I am not content with the inheritance that God has given me. The place that God has outlined as mine isn't where I want to be. And so, I'm moving. Or I'm removing the landmark so that I can cross into forbidden territory. That's what we're saying. Somebody says, I, 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 don't, I don't know if I believe that. That's all right. You don't have to believe it. Just read the Bible and you'll see that's exactly what Israel did. That's yes, exactly what they did. You, you know who removes landmarks? Thieves. Thieves do that. People that want something that's not theirs. Do you know what somebody, if somebody come to your house today and you saw them in the backyard pick, moving your stake, the stake in the corner of your lot, and moving it over three more feet toward their, uh, into your property so that they was extending their property three more feet into your property, what would you call them? You'd call them a thief. They're stealing your property. See, people who remove or move landmarks are thieves. And sadly enough, we're not careful, we can become thieves. Because what we're really saying is, we're not content with the land you gave us, Lord. We want more property. We want more land. What we sound like, if we're not careful, is kind of like Adam, uh, like Eve. Well, Eve, listen, you know, the devil knows, that, that God knows the day that thou eatest that fruit, you're going to become like God's. You'll be like him. And Eve, you know what Eve said? I want to remove a landmark. Because I want to be like God. Because I want what God hasn't given me. I'm not content with what God gives me. I want something else. So she was a thief. She tried to take what was not hers. She removed a landmark. The landmark was, Thou shalt eat of any other tree of the garden except for the one that's in the midst. She said, I want the one that's in the midst. She crossed the line. She went ahead and removed the landmark. Listen, it's, it's, it's a biblical landmark. It's right there in the Bible. But when we do that, we've got a problem. So the place that God's outlined or as mine isn't where I want to be. So I'm going to move or remove the landmark so that I can cross into forbidden territory. Some landmarks in the believer's life then. What are some landmarks? One, the landmark of scriptures. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. All scriptures given by inspiration of God and is profitable for what? Doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. We got the Word of God. It defines and outlines landmarks very clearly. Very clearly. Now, last time I checked, this book, when I look at it, is comprised of two colors black. And white. There it is. Two colors. Black and white. Do you know how most people read the Bible today? Gray. Most people read the Bible gray. They don't see black and white anymore. They see it as gray. But God's word's always been black and white. And it will always be black and white. The King James Bible is a landmark. 
Sadly enough, a number of people are trying to remove the landmark. A number of people are trying to say that you don't need a King James Bible. They're all the same, basically. They're all God's Word. It doesn't really matter. You know, if you can understand one better than the other, well, then use the one you can understand best. Well, honestly, I think Sports Illustrated, I understand Sports Illustrated a lot better than I do the Bible. But I don't read it as God's Word just because I understand it better. I want to know that what I hold in my hand is God's Word, and then I'll try to figure it out with God's help. I don't just grab any book that makes more sense to me because that gets kind of dangerous. Someone says, you really been on this? You really believe the King James Bible is the only Bible for English-speaking people? Absolutely. Have no doubt about it. No doubt about it. None at all. That's a landmark that doesn't get moved. We don't move that. I mean, that thing's been purified seven times according to Psalms chapter 12. There's no need to try to make it any better than it is. There was a group that came out not long ago, wanted to have the the King James or the uh, KJV 2000, they wanted to call it at one time. They were going to go ahead and update it. And they were going to utilize supposedly the, the, uh, uh, the received text, which was used to, to, to write the King James. And I thought to myself, so why are we going to translate the same text again into another Bible that will say the same thing if it's really translated correctly? You know, you, know what, you know what that was all about? Can I tell you what that's really about? That's about people. Yeah, that's a good point, money. But that's, a, that's about people, though, first and foremost, even more than money. I believe this now. Again, I think you're right. You're on target there. But, but this is about a people who are so arrogant to think they're smarter than the ones God chose to, to, to define or to, to uh, go ahead and, and, and translate this one. Now, listen, I, I'd match. Listen, I mean this. I, I'd take the translators of the King James Bible any day of the week and twice on Sunday. And you, you pick the smartest men you want smartest women you want in the world today, and you'll never find a crew as intellectually sound as that group was back then. Do you know that every last one of them, to my knowledge, spoke a minimum of four languages fluently, and many of them over six? Now listen, go ahead and find that, and find them that had the kind of, the kind of um, love for God and, and the sincerity that they had toward the things of God. I mean, they, that was serious business for them. It wasn't just an exercise in translation. King James Bible is a landmark. And then the doctrines that we build our faith and our lives upon. You think the virgin birth, the deity of Christ, the bodily resurrection, the shed blood of Jesus Christ, the fact that it's efficable for all mankind, all of those different doctrines that we find in the Word of God. Those are landmarks that are outlined and laid out for us. They are not, they are not left to our opinion We don't have the right to remove or move them at any point. They are etched in stone. And they are God's word and they are God's um, clear, defined landmarks and property lines. We don't have a right as believers to step outside of those. And when we step outside of those, what we have basically done is said, I'm removing or moving the landmark so that I can take and partake of forbidden fruit. Things that are really aren't mine in a place I have no right being, and I want to partake in it. I want it to be mine. I'm not happy with where God's placed me. I'm not content with being a Christian, living a separated life unto Him. I want something else. That's what we do when we remove landmarks that are scriptural, biblical. Listen, the landmark of scriptures, we can't mess with it. We cannot mess with it. The landmark of salvation. 
You know, this is one we, you know, amen, woo, praise the Lord, because this one's easy. Well, it's easy for us at least. Because salvation is by grace through faith. And that's all there is to it. For by grace are you saved through faith, and not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works as any man should boast. When we no longer emphasize grace through faith, but lean toward lordship, salvation, or works, then we're removing the landmarks. When all of a sudden you start incorporating or including my personal efforts to get me to heaven by saying things like, well, if you were really serious about salvation, you were really saved, then your life would have changed overnight. You would have have stopped drinking and smoking and everything, and you could have come to Christ. Are you willing to quit drinking, quit smoking, quit chewing, quit, you know, uh, gossiping and quit being John? I've had people, I, I've, had, I've, I've heard this said, and, and again, you know, if, 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 I'm, if I'm at a door or if I'm talking to somebody about the gospel and somebody says, if I get saved, does this mean I have to give up my alcohol? I'll say to him, well, sounds like maybe that's what God's asking you to do. I said, I think that if, would you, would you allow not, not giving up alcohol keep you from coming to Christ then? Because see, God put that on their heart. I didn't even mention it. And they say something like that. You, would, would that keep you from coming to the Lord? Would your alcohol keep you from trusting Christ? If, if it was between drinking and Jesus and going to heaven, what, what would you choose? I'm going to be honest with you. If, if, I say, if I say this, if I flat out say this, I want my sin, but I want the Savior to get me to heaven. Is that salvation? That's not salvation, is it? But on the other hand, I've had... I've had professors and I've had teachers and I've had preachers say these things. You have to find that one sin in their life that they have to be willing to give up. What? Well, first of all, it's not any one sin that we have to give up to get saved. It's sin. It's not sins and then find the one sin. It's the sin of rejecting Christ. It's grace through faith. That's all it is. I mean, I understand repentance. I understand turning from my sin and understanding that it's not me. It's not uh, anything but Jesus Christ. I understand some of those things. But the fact is, is that when we start throwing works in there, when we start trying to incorporate self or flesh or our own efforts, then we got problems. We got issues. There's a landmark with salvation. It's not changing anytime soon. Biblically and scripturally, salvation is of the Lord. And that's who it is of and that's who it will always be of. It's not about you and it's not about me. And you can go ahead and debate all day long about whether you're Armenian, whether you're, uh, you, know, uh, 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 you know, Calvinist, and whether you believe that God can do this or God has to do that part, whether man actually exercises his will or God just exercises his will on man and all that. Go ahead and play that game and go ahead and run circles around it. You play that game, you'll just get more confused than you've ever been in your life. But what I do know is this, that he's not willing that any should perish and all should come to repentance. And that for whosoever... God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish. Well, it, it, it sure seems to me that when he says, come unto me all you that labor and heavy laden, I will give you rest. It's kind of ridiculous to think that he would offer a, an invitation but then not really mean it. Oh, well, I said that, but I only meant only this side of the room, not that side. I'm offering it to you, but I'm not going to let you get it, only you. It makes no sense. Folks, that's not how our Lord works. He's not some magician. You know, he doesn't have a magic hat. And so, uh, the landmark of salvation. Let's stick to that thing. Don't lose it. Don't complicate salvation. 
Number three, soul winning. This landmark's been established by the Lord himself. But when we excuse ourselves from the responsibility of reaching the lost, we remove it. There, we, we don't have the right to say that we're not going to be witnesses on behalf of Christ. That's really not up to us. Someone says, well, that doesn't mean I have to come out on Saturday. First of all, I don't like your attitude. If that's how you say it, I don't like your attitude. And I don't think God's happy with it either. If you say, you know, but preacher, I don't know. I don't know that that means you have to come out on Saturday. I'd say, well, sounds like you're asking the right questions. Isn't it sad when we get attitudes as believers? Because we're just downright don't want to do something, so we get an attitude toward leadership, an attitude toward God. Isn't that pitiful? Wouldn't that be horrible if you had that attitude? I hope you don't tonight. This landmark has been established by the Lord. When he says, go ye therefore and teach all nations, you say, well, yeah, but that was to the disciples he said that. Yeah, seems to me he passed that down to all of us. Are you his disciple? I think you ought to go to all the world too. I think that every one of our goals should be to reach the world with the gospel. And as a church collectively, we should want to reach the world with the gospel. That's why we do missions. And that's why you participate, because you have recognized the need to do this. But then what happens? You get somebody newly saved. Now do a favor. Do, do, this, do these new, new folks uh, that get saved a favor. When, when you take them under your wing and you take them out to lunch and you start calling them and encouraging them to come to church and you're sitting beside them in the services and uh, you're answering questions along the way, you know, they, they get, you know, and you're texting them and you're encouraging them, why don't you tell them how much you give? Why don't you try that one on for size? Why don't you let them know what it means to be a believer and how to give as a believer? Why don't you let them know what it means to give to missions and why you ought to give to missions and why you ought to sacrifice to give to missions? Why don't you tell them about that side of Christianity too? Why don't you tell them about the need to be baptized and the need to give to the building fund and why it's so important to be involved and plugged in and participating in the work of God? See, those are the things you need to teach them. We bring them to church and we say, we'll leave it up to the pastor. You know that you have more influence in their life sometimes than I do. You know what inspires me more than anything else? Is reading a good biography about a godly man or woman and seeing what they did. And when I find out what they did, I say, man, well, I feel kind of, wow. Maybe I need to be doing a little more. My prayer life ain't as strong as theirs. Man, my, my giving's not as strong as theirs. My faith isn't as strong as theirs. I want more. Why don't we exercise that? Don't you get motivated by hearing stories like that? I do. You know what? Every one of you in this room that are tithers, that are givers, that are faithful in God's house, that are plugged into the ministry, that are soul winners, have stories you can tell them about how God's used you in certain areas. Not to raise yourself up. That has nothing to do with it. But to motivate them and move them and encourage them and inspire them. There's nothing wrong with that. David, uh, Paul said to, the, to Timothy, he said, be an example to the believer. An example of the believer, excuse me. Well, what's that mean? Well, he goes through a list of things that he's supposed to do and be an example of. Well, we're to be examples in every area of our Christian life. We like to draw lines. And sometimes I'm concerned. I'm a little concerned sometimes, you know, that maybe there's certain areas in our Christian life we don't want to be an example because we're really not one. But we ought to be. There shouldn't be one question a child of God, a new child of God can ask you that should cause you just to freeze. 
Oh, boy. Can you tell me about your prayer life? Oh, man, I'm going to have to fudge on this one. You have to feel like that. Maybe you ought to fix it now. Right, you know, can you tell me about your study habits? Oh, I'm going to have to kind of stretch this one a little bit because last month I did do some study. Well, I usually study a couple hours when I do it. You did that a month ago, though. You haven't studied in a month now. You got, if you've got to fudge it, you might want to fix it. Okay? That's a good statement, isn't it? You've got to fudge it, you ought to fix it. Finally, separation. And this is the biggie, isn't it? This is the one that it seems everybody just kind of, I don't know, gets a hernia over. Seems that way to me these days in the culture we live. It seems to me in this sweatpants culture, this wear your pajamas out in public, stay comfortable at all costs, never be uncomfortable, that this is the one that really causes people problems. Because the first thing you think, when I put that on the board, every one of you probably went, dress standards. That's what most people do. As soon as they see separation, ah, great, here we go, we're going to talk about standards, dress standards. Well, we'll probably start talking about that on Sunday night here real soon. Because we need it. 2 Corinthians 6, 14 through 18, though, separation. Wherefore, come out from among them and be you separate, saith the Lord. Touch not the unclean thing. I'll receive you, and I'll be a father to, unto you. And ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing. Boy, I'll tell you what, separation's about separating from something and to something. And really, it's not just from something. It's really from the world to the Lord. And, you know, when we get that part of it straightened out, then the rest of it falls into place. It's the problem when we're struggling with the separation from the world to the Lord. At one point, that, that both have, they both have to be clicking, okay? But separation is a, is, is a landmark in the Word of God. That's all there is to it. Everywhere you turn, you see separation. We're going to notice that a little bit. You go through that book of Genesis, and you see separation everywhere you turn. Everywhere you turn, you see separation. I mean, and, and, and you see distinction. And we're going to talk about that maybe in our next series on Sunday nights. But the fact is, is that separation is a very important part of, of landmarks. And here's, let's consider some things. When we remove, as we mentioned already, the landmarks that God and His Word established, we're really saying, I'm not content with the inheritance that God's given me. The place that God has outlined as mine isn't where I want to be. And so, I'm moving or removing the landmarks so I can cross into forbidden territory. We start talking about standards and we start talking about convictions and about all of these things that go along with it. I saw a really cool illustration when I was uh, at a particular conference not long ago. And they, they did this. They held a Bible up like this. And they said, all right. The past generation has the standards to support their convictions. The past generation had standards to support their convictions. There they are. Now, before I go any further, let me explain to you how it works. And I've done this before, but you may have forgotten. Number one are biblical principles. Biblical principles. Biblical principles are what we derive our convictions from. I find a principle in the Word of God, not a thus saith the Lord necessarily. Where does it say, I have to 
If you're basing, if all you're basing your convictions on is what thus saith the Lord, the Ten Commandments, you're going to fall short in some areas of conviction. Principles determine convictions. Biblical principles. So I have biblical principles derived from the Word of God, scriptures, so forth, and they give me my convictions. My convictions now are established from my principles. My standards protect my convictions. My standards keep me from failing to maintain my convictions. They protect me. They protect me. So I have principles that ultimately provide convictions, and then I establish standards so that I can protect my convictions. Okay? That's simple. Now, here it is. The past generation had standards to support their convictions. There they are. Here's the principles. Here's the the, the convictions rose from it. And here's these standards here, holding it all up. Holding it all up. Our generation today doesn't want the standards. Let's get rid of the standards. Still got convictions, though. We still understand and know what the Bible teaches. We know what it says. We start getting rid of... This is kind of hard for me to do. I don't have very big hands, see? Let's see here. I've got to get rid of that. I've got to somehow... Okay, there we go. I've got to cut rid of a couple of these babies. There. Okay, there they are now. Look, I'm losing my standards. Still got my convictions. Uh-oh, wait a second. I just lost one more standard. What happens? It all comes crumbling down. And you know what? The next generation won't have any convictions at all. And you say, well, I don't understand what you're saying. I'm telling you now, if we lose our standards, then we will lose our convictions. They'll be gone. That's all there's to it. So you can go ahead and dismiss your standards. You can raise your kids talking about the grace of God and all that good stuff and how God doesn't expect us to do this, this, or this, and we have liberty in Christ and all that. Go ahead. Disregard all the standards that were put into place by those men and women of old. Dump them all. The only problem is the next generation is not going to have any convictions. That's the, that's the danger. We're talking about landmarks now. So it says, yeah, principle. Remember, convictions are based out of principle. Standards are a result of the conviction to protect it. So you know what? I think sometimes our standards become some landmarks that need to stay in place. They don't need to be being messed with either. And unfortunately, because we have such a changing culture, a liberal culture, a God anti-God culture, and we're trying to fit in as believers, we have a tendency to get rid of anything that identifies us too strongly with Him. And so what do we do? We say, well, it's for the best of all. It's important that we do this because we need to fit in because we have to provide for our families. We have to have friends. You know, we need to fit in socially. Blah. That's what the church is for, by the way. That's, 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 what, that's what dinner series is about, too. Would I really want to be going bowling when I can be with my family on Tuesday or Thursday night? Are you kidding me? Playing a board game with some friend at work when I can be with my family? It says, that's not right. You're trying to shame us. If it shamed you, too bad. But I'm telling you, I believe this stuff. I believe it. 
That's why I do what I do, because I believe it. Landmarks are expressed in Scripture and outlined in principle. We often are guilty of dismissing ancient landmarks as being a gray area today. We dismiss them as gray. Those landmarks of old, that's just about them old fuddy-duddies. Them crazy Christians back there in the 50s and 60s and 30s and 70s even. Man, we, we, we're, we're way beyond that now. Those guys, they, they used to say you couldn't even wear wire rim glasses. They used to say you can't go to the movies. Do you know that if you'd look up, listen to me, if you'd look in our standards for our teachers, that was in our standards? You want to know why? It's kind of an ancient landmark. Go ahead, start throwing them all out. Get rid of everything. Just get rid of it all. Where do we end up? Where do our children end up? You know, they used to say you couldn't mix bathe. Guys and girls couldn't swim in the same pool. They used to say that you can't hold hands before you're married. They used to say they were crazy back then. They were nuts. Really? You know what I think? I think they were just trying to protect their convictions that were derived from principles. And today, we're slipping. Because you know what's more important to us than honoring God? It's pleasing ourselves. That's really the bottom line. And it's that simple. Whether it's about standards in dress, whether it's standards in the Word of God, whether it's standards in soul winning, whether it's a standard in service, it doesn't matter. Normally, we're throwing those things away, calling them gray areas, because we really just don't want to do it. But it's outlined in the Word of God. We better be careful. We've got a great church at Community Baptist Temple, but it will not be great for long if we lose this right here. If we start worrying about us as individuals more than we care about pleasing God as a family. We're not willing to lay down our life for each other and it's over. This thing doesn't work because God says it's a family. The moment your children don't care about you as a parent and you as a parent don't care about your kids, you don't have a home. All of a sudden, it's everybody, every man, and every woman for themselves. You've got utter chaos and confusion. We've got to be in this together, and the God tells us that's how it's supposed to be. Thought. Israel made the mistake of removing the ancient landmarks They miscalculated the price of doing so. They lost a generation to captivity. And that's exactly what we're going to lose if we move the ancient landmarks, if we remove them. We're going to lose the next generation. I don't know where kids end up sometimes. They make horrible decisions along life's road. But here's the one thing I know. I don't care how bad a decision they made. I want to make sure that Community Baptist Temple is still here for them to come back to. And it ain't moved a lick. And it'll be exactly what they left. Because when you get right, finally, you want to come home. And I want them to have a home to come to. Father, we come to you. We ask, Lord, that you just help us today.